0: Bless the Lord, amen. Good morning, Brown Corners. So very thankful that you chose to be in the house of the Lord with us this morning. If you're ready and willing, ask that you stand with us as we worship. But uh, we'll start with our call to worship this morning, which is found in Psalms 47, 6, and verses 7, and in our tradition all together. Sing praise to God, sing praise. Sing praise to our King, sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom, for God is king of the whole earth. Amen. Amazing grace. This is a daily love that you have take my place, that you have bear my cross. That you would bear my cross, oh, you laid down your life that I would be set free. Oh, oh, oh. Jesus, I sing oh, all that you've done for me.
1: This week when we go through whatever we're we're doing and and whoever we're we're seeing um i work in the middle school library and i found a quote recently that said something to this gist of kids go all day without someone saying their name and be that person that remembers that kid's name and something about them and that's my goal is to remember the names of these kids that that approach me and want their books scanned to, to tell them that they're loved they're a child of God and that they are chosen to do great things. So wherever you work, at the grocery store, at the factory, at the corporation, call people by their names, look them in the eyes, and tell them that they are loved and chosen.
2: guys do have the right to uh, sit down if your knees can't stand, standing up as long as we make you, or have you. Every once in a while, a song comes along that touches more than the surface of your skin, touches your heart. Dan has a faithful to put this next song on set, Uh, that touched my heart because of the busyness of life because of the, all the things we have to do all the things we can't get done that list I had to stop I just had to stop and I heard this song so even though i probably a better vocalist to sing it I'm singing to you from my heart not my mouth caught up in your presence i just wanna sit here at your feet caught up in this whole I just sang another song Take me back to where it comes Sorry about that I'm sorry
3: When I
2: come with my agenda I'm sorry God that you're enough, take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you, I'm
3: caught
2: up in your presence, I just want. Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough Take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I just want you Nothing else Nothing else Nothing else to do I just want you. Oh, then it is in
4: saying be true of our yearnings, oh God, that we just want you. Lord, we thank you for this time to worship you today and we ask that you would speak to us that as our brother Kevin comes to share from your word to point us to your immense love for us that that our hearts would be ready to receive what your Holy Spirit to make come alive in our hearts and lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, welcome. We sure are glad you're worshiping with us today, and um, I- I'm-, I'm glad this morning to welcome my friend Kevin Butcher. Uh, Kevin and I met 10 years ago, and I shared this story a while back. Some of you have heard this, but we I was the chaplain at Eagle Village at the time, Kevin, was coming to speak to the kids and probably the staff as well. And I was tasked with giving him a tour and just kind of hanging out with him until the the uh, meeting started. And uh, I'll never forget. I, I don't know if I'd ever met anyone quite like Kevin because immediately, like, he sifted through all of the fake and phoniness and began asking me questions about my heart and. My relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, and he could tell that there were some walls up that needed to come down, and uh, I I couldn't, I couldn't, I tried all the evasive tactics I could, and all the maneuvers to avoid, but he just kind of kept pressing in, and um, I discovered someone that I was simultaneously angry at and wanted to get away from as fast as I could, but also drawn to in this in this powerful way because I could see that he cared about me and he cared about my heart and he knew my heart wasn't where it needed to be and he longed to see some awakening some life come forth and so uh, Kevin and I lost touch for a few years he's he was pastoring in Detroit and you'll hear some of those stories here this morning and uh, he began a ministry out in Colorado called Rooted Ministries primarily to bring healing to, and encouragement to pastors and their families and ministry leaders and um, we reconnected, uh, had a couple of phone calls, and then Alisa and I got to spend some time with him uh, when we were out in Colorado last year, and it just sort of planted the seed, like, oh, we've got to get him out out here, and we just had a fantastic weekend as he shared with our men and challenged us, and um, really just some powerful things happened this weekend that I'm, I'm just so excited about, and we're just so blessed to be able to have him have him join us here this morning. So would you guys welcome Kevin as he comes up?
5: So um, I'm delighted to be with you and it was, it was really great being with your, your uh, husbands and your fathers and your brothers and your, your friends. And um, So this is the deal, right? Yeah. Okay, we'll see. Um, hopefully uh, they came home and, and just shared with you what's going on in their heart and if they didn't yet then, uh, when they get home today, you uh, poke their hearts and and see if they'll share what, what maybe what movement happened in them in this this weekend just by being together with other brothers and and uh, talking about the love of God for each of us. So um, just a little bit about myself. Um, yeah, after thirty five years of lead lead pastor ministry in three different churches, we began this uh, this nonprofit because pastors and Christian leaders can often be very lonely, they don't know who they can share with, they don't know who they can trust. And certainly that was the case with my wife and myself for all those years. Never had a mentor, never had uh, anyone really come toward us and say, hey, we don't want you to be here for us, we want to be here for you. So we kind of were just alone. And um, and so th- this is what we do. And so you you may know leaders and pas- or pastors around even this community that might Need some encouragement? We do a lot of Zoom counseling. We have spiritual directors on our team. We have counselors. Uh, we do retreats, and uh, just want to make sure that pastors know the love of God through personal connection. That they have safe space where they can be their true selves, and not have to put on a show. And then, um, so this is my best friend, and uh, indeed the love of my life. Um, we met 47 years ago. Um, met in the night before, the homecoming football game, I was a football player at a small university, Taylor University, right down the road, and uh, um, actually, I had been giving a devotion with the, the, the co-captain that I co-captained the team with uh, in front of a large crowd, kind of a homecoming crowd the night before, and for whatever reason, I don't know why we did this, but we dressed up like girls and so we we that was it, it was some kind of a funny skit some kind of a funny sketch i have no idea i have no it was it was a long time ago i have no idea why we did that but my wife my future wife saw that and then she got oh those guys are kind of funny for football players and then i had to give this devotional to the crowd and she went funny guy and he also can be serious and and we didn't know each other yet but later that night i took some freshman football players to the dorm and um, we're just standing there awkwardly like guys will in a girl's dorm. I mean, it was it's Upland, Indiana, uh, gang. There, there's nothing else to do. So we went there. We were standing there, and I heard this young lady laugh. And I said, this is no joke, I said to myself, I've got to know who belongs to that laugh. And uh, I turned around, and, and it was my, my future wife of Carla. Now, she was dating some other bozo at the time, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's what happens in the end that, that matters and um so i just i love her so much and um yeah i could talk for a long time about that but you would get bored and i wouldn't and so we'll we'll move on um this is uh, part of my family my extended family we we were 30 some years in michigan we just moved to denver colorado for these three girls um, oldest middle and youngest and a couple of sons-in-law and since this picture, we've added two more grand uh, grandkids, two little baby granddaughters that were born ni- nine days uh, from each other. And I show you this picture because this this, uh, this these young families, of course, are my life, and uh, I'm so proud of them and, and love them so very much. And and um, I show this picture. I don't even know why I show this picture. I I think it's because I. This was the last church we pastored um, in Detroit, Michigan, in a really tough neighborhood in Detroit, a drug-infested neighborhood. You know, one day, I you know, heard a shot outside the, the door of the parking lot across the street. A drug deal had gone down wrong. A uh, guy was shot, got on a bus. Uh, my assistant started to run out. And and I said, Sue, you need to get back in here. And, and I ran out to see what was going on. And the guy got on the bus, went down to the next bus stop. I ran down there. He, he literally, I was standing right there, he walked out um, of the bus and fell down dead in, in, in the gutter. And so it was, we didn't see that happen every day, but it was that kind of community. But somehow the Spirit of God moved, and um, this is just, we were gathering it after one service in the middle of our sanctuary and just praying over someone, I forget who it even was, but every kind of human being, you know, black, white, Latino, Asian, older, younger, city, suburb, educated, uneducated, uh, wealthy, and and those who had nothing. In the name of Jesus Christ, because of the love of Jesus Christ, gathered in that house. And we were there for 16 years. And uh, yeah, it's a a piece of my heart. I think I was telling the guys, this lady right here, just an example. And I've written a couple books about one book about this place and the folks in it, and then another book about just our own journey with the love of Christ. They're back there on the table. But this lady right here, um, she she spent 40 years on the streets of Detroit. Uh, her nickname was Tippy Toes. She was she was a hooker, and uh, and she was a heroin addict. And uh, one day, um, she she had never known God, never met God, never wanted anything to do with God. I mean, she she had gotten addicted to her mother's pain medication medicine when she was dying of cancer when she was a little girl. That's how she first got hooked. And then when her mom died, her dad, who had sexually abused her when she had been a little, a littler girl and gone to prison for it, he got out of prison for the funeral and stole the police car, drove off a cliff. And so she lost her mom and her dad on the same day. And uh, th- the state wanted to take her, of course, because they had an obligation to, she fled the state, went down to Mexico, got involved with the, the cartel, became a drug mule for them, and, and, and then ended up in Detroit. And one day, God spoke to her heart. She hardly even knew the voice. She said, if you, if you, don't, if you don't get clean and give up this life, you're going to die. And so she listened. She went into a hotel that she used to turn tricks at, told the, the proprietor, um, you know, lock the door. Don't let me out. And she, she detoxed from heroin, which is very, very dangerous without medical intervention. Um, after three days, she came out alive, went to a rescue mission. The Detroit Rescue Mission had a, had a place for women who were coming off the street. And one of our pastors happened to be there that day, sharing the gospel, told Cindy about Jesus Christ, who came for her. And she trusted Christ, and she's been clean now for the last 18 years. Never relapsed. I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you explain this? except for the love of Christ that touches us and embraces us and heals us. So I, I could go on and on, but I'm supposed to preach a sermon. So um, that, that's Hope Community Church of Detroit. So today, I want to talk to you about the very same thing that I talked to your brothers and your fathers and your, 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 um, your sons about this weekend on the first night. I want to talk from this passage, John 13. Some of Jesus' last words, um, and, and here they are. I mean, literally, this is the last night he spent on the planet. Um, In in his pre-resurrection body, he's going to go to the cross the next day. And this is what he says to the 11. Judas has already gone to do his thing. And so the 11 who remain, this is what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you. Focus on this phrase. Because by this... You know, you Google evangelism, Google sharing Christ, 150,000 websites will come up. But Jesus said, this is the way we reach the world. We love here. The folks that sometimes at business meetings we can't get along with, we love here. Instead of splitting over whatever doctrinal thing we think is the most important doctrine in the world, we stay together. There are 40,000 denominations in the world today. And we wonder why the world doesn't see the love of Christ when we can't love each other. Jesus said, this is the way we reach. You don't have black churches and white churches and Latino churches and Asian churches and rich churches and poor churches and suburban churches and city churches. We come together across all those lines that have traditionally divided us because we love each other in Christ. Jesus said, this is what I want you to do. This is your mission. And all those who follow you, this is their mission that you love one another as I've loved you. By this, everyone will know. It doesn't say all will believe. It says, but they'll know. They'll know that there's a kingdom of God that is that is bringing something that is touching their relational brokenness that they long to see healed, but they have no idea how to how to heal it. They'll know that there's hope for that relational healing because they see it in us. They'll look at us and say, how do you... How do you guys do that? We, we had a guy at, at my last church one day, a bus driver. We were having an out on the uh, main city street where our church was. We were just having a barbecue. And all of those folk that I just showed you in a picture, we were just out in the front, just having the barbecue. And, and the, a Detroit bus driver, an African-American brother, drove up and looked out the door, and he said two things. First of all, the door of his bus, he said, first of all, can you make me a plate of that chicken right there? And so, of course, we did. He was a big guy. He'd, he'd had a few few plates of chicken before. In fact, I think we, I literally think we gave him a couple plates, I think. And then he said, what is this? And I was standing right there. I said, well, it's our church. He goes, yeah, but you got all these, these black folks and these white folks and these young folks and these older folks. This is a church? He said, I know church. I've never seen a church like this. He said, I'll be back. No, no, nobody had to hand him a gospel leaflet. Nobody had to preach him a sermon. All we had to do is do this. We wouldn't have to go door to door to reach people for Christ. They would be coming to us if they saw this. If we just have love for one another. So I think the church today, I think we're starting to understand that. What I think we still struggle with is this app is what we still struggle with. All right, Um, this phrase, as I have loved you, you know this, um, you can't give away what you're not receiving. You will give away whatever it is you are receiving or have received. So here's the question of the morning. If I asked you, and this isn't a judgmental question, it's just a question. If, if, I, if, you, if you and I were sitting around a coffee table and, uh, and we were just talking and I said, just let me, let me ask you something. Do you know, I mean really, do you know deep in your spirit that God loves you? What would you say? Not the world, of course he loves the world. Does he love you? all of your background and your stuff and some of the shame that you wrestle with. and Do you know that he loves you? Some of us. This has been a standard response over the years. I've preached all over the place, and you hear this from all kinds of different people. Well, of course I know he loves me. It says so in the Bible. I mean, what are you going to say to that? I mean, it's not a bad response. I just don't think it's enough. So my oldest daughter, the picture I showed you just a minute ago, she's 39 now. If I went to her uh, back in Denver when I get home and I said, Baby, do do you know that your dad loves you? And she said, Well, of course I do, Dad. And I said, How do you know that I love you? She said, Well, when I was about seven or eight years old, you sent me a birthday card. You were on a trip. You sent me a card. And at the bottom it said, Daddy loves you. So when I don't really know if you love me or not, I, I carry that card around with me. I pull the card out. And I read the words, and that's how I know you love me. And I said, "Wait a minute, that's it? Not, no, daddy-daughter dances play into you knowing that I love you. Not those special gifts that I brought you from literally all over the country when I was traveling. Not those moments when I take you in my arms and hold you, and like like you're like you're." Four again, that I can't even let you go because I love you so much? You don't remember that time in junior high when you felt suicidal because you were getting bullied in the sixth grade? And I I came into your room every night for months just to be with you, just to let you feel my love so that you could begin to believe that God loved you. I mean, none of that, none of that. Just the fact that I wrote it down? I think you get the illustration. It wouldn't be enough. It's amazing to me that it, today, if, if you ask your spouse, if you happen to be married, or ask your best friend, hey, you know I love you, right? If, if they don't express it in some way that they're experiencing your love, you'll know that something's broken. Every other relationship in the world except our relationship with God, our relationship with God is the only one that we go, all we need is the Bible verse. Which is interesting because in the first 1,500 years of church history, nobody had a copy of the Bible. It's the only relationship that I know of in humanity that we're content with just knowing God's love because it's written down. And I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, it's not enough. And it was never intended to be. One of the reasons I know is because that was my story. I trusted Christ when I was a little guy, five years old. Then I became the church kid, and, you know, every, every youth group I was in, I led. I, you know, I'd share Christ at school. I was the guy that, as a high school football player, I'd, I'd lead the team in prayer before the game back in the days when you could do that. I went off to Taylor University, took Greek there because I was getting ready. I was going to be a therapist, but I really didn't care about the other languages, so I decided to take Greek. Went to Dallas Seminary. Um four-year master's in theology, took more languages, Hebrew and Greek. By the time I got done with my education, I had six years of Greek, two years of uh, Hebrew, and, and, and three years of Latin. And I can promise you, I had a, a, a head full of this. And, and I'm not saying it was bad. But somewhere along the way, I began to display signs that having a left brain full of words about the love of God wasn't enough for me. I, I, I told this story to the brothers, and it, I hated telling it to them, and I'm going to hate telling it to my sisters in Christ this morning, but, but I think if I'm encouraging you to be honest, then I need to be honest as well. So six months into my marriage, you know, we were kind of like the Barbie and Ken at Taylor University, and we were supposed to be the couple that made it and did it, and all was well. Six months into my marriage, my wife and I got into an argument one night, and um, you guys would love my wife, I'm telling you, you would just love her. She is, she's like, like five foot four, and as she gets older, she's shrinking. I think she's down to five foot three, and and, and you, when you look at her, you don't think she's very tough, but you do not want to meet her in a dark alley if you don't know her, I'm telling you. And that, that particular argument, she thinks I'm, I'm putting two, argu- two arguments together, and I could be, you know, we do, you know, memory is. Um, I, I think in that particular argument, a couple things happen, and I was being an idiot. I'll just promise you right now, she had every right to do what she was doing, because I was being a jerk. I was, I was, I didn't know how much baggage I had inside, and so I'm pretty sure she spit some green beans at me that night, Um, and then I I think she said, damn you, and I'd had one year of seminary, and I was trying to act all pious, like, you know, we don't swear in our home, and uh, and this is, this is Carla. She got up on my face, and she said, damn, 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 I mean, she's, she's amazing, man. She has been the most amazing life partner. And to be in church with church folks, God love us, um, she had to be that tenacious. She had to be. And so um, I didn't realize how much pain I carried from my childhood. Um, my parents were Christians, but they were really jacked up. You can be a believer and be emotionally and relationally a mess. That's what I grew up in. And my mother was raised in shame. That's all she had to give. She was a hitter. She was a screamer. And so when my wife got up on my face that night, something happened, man. I, I went nuts. And I, you know, I was about 225 back in that day. I was coaching weightlifting at the university. Anything you see here was pretty much in my shoulders at that point back then. And I I literally picked her up and I threw her across that mobile home. And and I all of a sudden, it went like this, and there she was on the floor on her backside. And um, and and for the next several hours, we both wept. She wanted to leave. I wouldn't have blamed her. We got on our knees in that in that 10 by 40 mobile home with orange and green shag carpet, and we begged God to meet us where we were. And I I begged God to help me know what to do because I was like, what is wrong? Something is broken inside. Brendan Manning talks about the fact that many of us who think we know the love of God, really, we're like travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never been. Hey, come to Tahiti. What's it like? Well, I don't know, but here are the pictures. And so I told her, I said, if you, if you stay with me, um, I will be in church the next day. I said, I'll have an elder pray over me, and the next day I'll be in a therapist's office. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what I did. And it, it saved their marriage. I began my journey. I began my journey to know the love of God that up until that point, all I knew was in my left brain. It was just in my head. It was just in verses in the Bible. A few years later, still on the journey, had a couple of kids, um, three kids by that point actually, and I used to sit down and watch Mr. Rogers with them. You've watched Mr. Rogers, right? And and he used to come on with that uh, that song, that little ditty that he wrote that's become famous. And, and the words were something like this: "It's you I like. It's not the things you wear, it's not the way you do your hair, but it's you I like. The way you are right now, the way deep down inside you. Not the things that hide you. Not your diplomas and your awards." and your successes and your accolades. They're just beside you. It's you I like, every part of you. And I used to cry. I'd sit there and cry with my girls hanging all over me, ages you know, three, six, and eight. And they occasionally would say, I think daddy's crying. And one time my, my daughter, who's today a therapist, my middle daughter, she said, why are you crying, Daddy? I didn't know, now I know. I wanted somebody to speak those words to me. I wanted God to speak those words to me. And then a couple years later, the big manifestation that really showed me that I, I had to find this. You know, I was, I was a successful pastor. I'd been successful in most of what I had tried. But those plaques on the wall, I'm telling you, did nothing for the inside of my heart. And I'd gone off to speak one more time. People applauded. On the way home, I-94, Allard Exit on the east side of Detroit. I came within an Nats eyelash of taking my own life because I was empty inside. Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer, he says it like this, that you might be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Because to know that love is to be filled with all the fullness of God. My brothers and sisters, I mean, you don't have to be a physicist to know that if if you're not full, you're empty. And emptiness is like this vacuum that longs to be filled. And so if we're not full of the love of Christ, we are scrambling to get full of something else. You know, on the streets of Detroit, man, it was, you know, it was crack cocaine and heroin and 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 you know just sexuality, just rampant sexuality, weed, alcohol, man. You know, the brothers and the sisters used to stand on our porch. It was a safe place for them. It had an overhang, and they would literally have been drinking 24/7 for weeks and months. Just saturated their system, just saturated with alcohol. They couldn't even hold their their water. They would they would just be steeped in urine because. I've never met an addict. I've never met an addict that wasn't looking for something to fill the inside of their spirit. But there's other ways we try to fill it, man, with our kids. Instead of loving our kids, we we, we don't on purpose, but we use our kids to fill up some kind of emptiness inside of us. You've seen the kids at the Little League Stadium, and a dad or a mom just going, wow 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 at the refs and the umps. Can I tell you, are, I mean, just take inventory. Are we... Are we really there for our kids, or are they there for us? We can even be addicted to Jesus, man, in church, trying to fill up an emptiness that can never be filled except by the love of God in Christ. Satan's big lie this morning, my friends, as, as I understand it, is that God doesn't love you. And Jesus said, how can we love the world? If we don't know that He loves us, one of my favorite authors, a Jesuit priest, says this: "You know, your your life begins not when you love God, but when you begin to understand how much He loves you." So to turn the corner, um, you might be saying, "I I don't know. Is that where I'm living? Is it? Is this for real?" or so here are a couple of um, signals, symptoms, if you will, of, of of whether we are really wrestling with this or not. So here's the first one: we don't know who we are, or we secretly hate who we are. Identity issues. You know, Jesus, when he when he when he was baptized by his cousin John, the Father, God the Father showed up. Remember what he said: "You are my beloved Son." And whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit led him into the wilderness, and he carried his identity. What was his identity? I am a beloved son of the Father. He carried that identity out into his life, battling the powers of darkness. When we don't know that we're loved, we struggle to know who we are. We get in a crowded room, we become like every little group of conversants because we're not sure who we are. And honestly, the ultimate piece of of emptiness in terms of identity is that we have self-hatred and you might say can a real christian hate themselves i did i believed in jesus and hated myself and i will promise you in a crowd this size this morning some of us are self-haters and what i really want to say is you don't have to live that way anymore because whatever the wound or the the pain that brought you to that place Where you could say today, I just, when I look at myself, I can hardly look in the mirror. I just, I've never learned to love who I see there. You have a Father in heaven who loves you right where you are. Right where you are. With all of his heart. That self-hatred can be healed. And then, tormented by voices from our childhood, how can you hear the voice of God saying, "You're my beloved son, you're my beloved daughter"? If we're hearing voices from our past, the voices of our mom and dad, God loved them, who did the best they could, but maybe didn't have what we needed to, to, to communicate the love of God that they were supposed to communicate. And what if they don't didn't know the love of God? Then they gave us what they have, which usually, is love's opposite, something called shame. Howard Stern, some of you know that name. I mean, he's got this talk show where basically he berates people. I mean, he's so caustic. I was reading an article on an airplane a couple of years ago where he's interviewed, and, and the interviewer asked him about that caustic behavior. He said, I grew up in a home where my father berated me consistently. And he said, when I'm berating people on my show, I can still hear my father in my head berating me how can we know the love of christ from the voice of the holy spirit if those voices listen we don't have to live with those voices anymore god's love can heal those voices from our past i know not just because of the scripture but because it is happening in my life how about this one i'm sure none of you do this constantly looking for approval everybody needs encouragement but you know it's like the mainlining thing like i I need somebody to tell me I'm okay. Because if they don't, then I, I don't know in my heart that I'm okay. As a pastor, I, gosh, I hate to admit all this stuff to you. I don't know you well enough to do this, but hey, I can remember in, in my healing journey getting up to preach. I preached about 5,000 times. I'm old. And I can remember coming down after one of those sermons and then another one and then another one, basically just wanting someone to say, you're okay, you did a good job. The worst thing you could ever hear as a pastor is that's the best sermon you have ever preached because you realize the only place to go from there is down. When we, when we want to mainline approval, it's because inside we're empty. We can't hear the approval of the father that says, you're okay, daughter, you're mine. You're okay, son. You're mine. Constantly critical of others. And in church circles, usually we feel justified for being critical of others because we attach Bible verses to that criticism. Well, you know, sister so-and-so, you know, well, the Bible says... But come on, get real. And and again, we're not talking about constructive criticism. If you have a real friend, they will have courage to love you enough to give you constructive criticism when it's time. You don't just need yes people around you, right? But I'm talking about a critical spirit. I'm talking about when you look at people, you, you, you tend to evaluate yourself and begin to show yourself why you're better and they're not so good that critical spirit always comes my brothers and sisters from an inner critic when i'm critical of my best friend carla she's got baggage i've got baggage but when i'm critical of her in a in a critical spirit kind of way it's never about what she's done it's always about the voice that's barking inside my head that day that says you're not enough could that be a sign that we're wrestling to know the love of god Difficulty in relationships, for the first 10 years of my marriage, I was trying to get my wife, who was the nicest human being I'd ever met. My mom didn't like me. This woman liked me. And I honestly, unconsciously, because I was still wrestling with that emptiness, I tried to get her to fill up that gap, fill up that hole. I remember one time, after about 10 years, she looked at me one day and she said, Kevin, what do you want from me? My friends, I I really had no idea at the time. Now, looking back, I know I wanted her to do the Ephesians 3 thing. Fill me up with all the fullness of God, Carla. No human being can do that. So whether it's a friendship or or a relationship with a a brother or sister that, that, you know, you're moving toward marriage or a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or just a friend... People sometimes struggle in relationships because they're trying to get that friend to be something to us that they can never be. Carla can be the icing. She can never be the cake in my life, never. Or it begins to degrade and destroy the relationship. Some of our relationships in marriage today, I'm telling you, in this house, I promise you, are struggling because we are trying to get that other human being to be for us what only the love of Jesus Christ can be about this one never at peace constantly driven you know go 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 sometimes we have to sometimes you have to work the 70-hour week I get that sometimes when you have small kids and they're playing the six soccer leagues and whatever I get but could it be that sometimes we are so driven we just that activity is perpetual because if we slow down what happens those voices start to those when there's no activity we have to deal with what's going on inside that which is crying out to be healed could that be a sign that we're wrestling to know the love of god addictive tendencies we talked about that already addiction is simply anything that captures us to the point that we struggle to live just a normal existence and again it can, it's not always sex drugs and rock and roll it can be something like uh, something positive like even jesus himself and then finally, there's more. But By the way, you know where these come from? Uh, an abnormal psychology textbook? No. These all came out of my own life. On the surface, I was as successful as, as, as you could be. But this is what I was feeling inside. The last one is I was feeling distance in my relationship with God. I had my youngest daughter said to me one time, And she follows Jesus today, but she went through a really long, dark night. She wrestled with anorexia. anorexia. She was in the dance community. In fact, she's been a professional dancer. And, and, you know, the body image stuff, I mean, she wrestled for a long time. Went to treatment a couple of times. Um, But one time she said to me, as she was wrestling in her relationship with God, she goes, Dad, why would I want to read a book that every time I open it up, and either God tells me about something I should be doing that I'm not doing, or tells me something that I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Why What I want to read that book? She felt distant in her relationship with God because every time she thought about God, all she could feel was somebody pointing a finger or that look of disdain or, again, really? Is that all you got? So sometimes we think, I'm just not disciplined enough to read my Bible. I'm just not disciplined enough to pray. Forget that noise. Most of us are plenty disciplined enough. Many times, if we begin to know that God loves us, and we know that his love is in this text, we will run to this book. I never read this book because I have to, ever. I used to. Never. Now, why? Because, what, what, God's got a checklist and he's checking it off to see if I've done my daily quiet time today? Are you kidding me? But, but when I know he loves me, then I, I need to have more of that every day. So, our relationship with God can somehow be a tell that instead of God being the Father who loves us with all of his heart, he's, he's become somehow our, C, our spiritual CEO Barking orders and, and never really pleased with, with what he sees. Look, some of you might say, I've got some of this stuff, but what's the big deal, man? I'm functional. You're fun. You got up, man. You, you came to early church. Are you kidding me? You impress me. But Jesus didn't die to make us functional. He died. To set us free. Well, that's all we have time for, so good luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> that would be cruel. I've exposed the problem. Have had it. Let's just for a moment talk a little bit about healing. And and I I don't like steps. Relationships are not about steps, but there are pathways. So our relationship with God, these are some pathways in terms of healing to know the love of Christ. The first one is you just got to get honest. Everything starts with being honest. I I don't care if you've been a Sunday school teacher here or a greeter or the lead pastor for 20 years. I mean, God bless you for your service. But today, come out from behind that mask and just say, but what's really going on inside me? In, in, in this section of Ephesians where Paul is, 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 is talking to the Ephesian church about relationship, he starts with saying you can't have any relationship without st- stopping your lying. Any relationship has to be built on truth. So what if our first, he says here, um, you know, stop lying because we're members of one another. What if the first one another in your life is you? What if today you just took a step and said, I'm going to have courage to stop lying to me? And the second relational pathway is with God. I I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this this verse. Paul says at the end of that spectacular section of of ancient theology, for you, meaning us, did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. He says, when you met Christ, bondage was meant to be gone. And being afraid in your relationship with God? No more. He said, what we have now in Christ, we have received the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit of adoption. He walked into an orphanage and chose us. By whom now, this is our relationship with God. We cry out. You know what the Greek word for cry out means? Cry out. I I take it to mean in joy and sorrow. In other words, all day long. When my my oldest daughter was about two or three and I'd come home from uh, church in our first parish, she would run to the window and cry out, Daddy's home. On the streets of Jerusalem today, you will see children in the Jewish quarter. Uh, I've been there. Some of you have been there. and You've seen this. Little children running around going, Abba, Abba, Abba which is an intimate term that a child might use or somebody that's feeling really close to their dad. Abba, Father, our relation, look, he is the creator, but he said, don't relate to me like that, not primarily. He is the sovereign king, but Paul says that's not his main invitation to us. He says, we are invited to live 24-7, our hearts crying out to him, Abba, Father, One who loves me with all of his heart. So what if we took the honesty here and began to share it with the one who is not evaluating us, but is a father who is calling our true selves home. Somebody did this rendition of the prodigal's father in Luke 15. When that broken son, remember what the text says? When he was yet a long way off, he had begun to come home. The father saw him. And you know what it says? The, the Greek word is run, but it could be better translated. It was used in the of the ancient games, the ancient um, uh, Olympics. The father saw him when he was a long way off and began to sprint toward his son, who was coming home broken and full of shame. What if we began... To see our Father having this kind of compassion. What if right now, wherever you find yourself in this moment, Abba is running for you. He's coming for you. He sees you. He loves you. He's ready to hold you in his arms and smother you with kisses. What if... What if the Holy Spirit would allow us to shift this morning? And this is the way we begin to view our God. We could take him, every we could give him everything. I won't spend long here, but this is my four-year-old now grandson, Johnny. What if this is you today in the arms of God? I'm, I'm aware that I'm... Wearing the same shirt this morning that I wore. (laughs) Must be one of my favorites. (laughs) Used to do baby dedications, and I'd take a little baby like this, baby baptisms, whatever. I'd hold that baby up in front of the community. And I would say, what if, Man, the community gets so quiet, what if this little baby represents you? And what if for a moment you could just get by my faults and believe that I represent the father and it would be so quiet. And then I would start to kiss that child. I would hold that child. I'd stroke his or her head. And I'd bring that baby out, look that baby right in the eye. And you could start to hear people weep in the audience, even though most of my people knew what was coming, they would begin to weep because their hearts were saying, could it be true that God wants to love me like that? And then finally, you know what? I don't know how that, that's another story for another time. It's such a good story though, I gotta tell you. That's another one of my grandsons. This is the last movement. And these movements, they don't happen consecutively, they happen like this. Begin to open your heart to the healing love in the body of Christ. Can you imagine Peter saying these words? Peter, who who was sent off after his mess, do you love me, Peter? Go feed my sheep. He said, let me repeat that to my people in the Asia Minor churches, above all things, there's nothing more important, Have fervent love for one another because that love can cover, in fact, it can heal a multitude of sins. N.T. Wright says that it was the love of of Christ that took him to the cross. It was the love of Christ that kept him on the cross. It was the love of Christ when he said, it is finished, crushed the powers of darkness. Now, from from that point on, uh, Dr. Wright says, love is the new power. What if some of our healing is this way? What if some of our healing is right here in these pews in the body of Christ as we take off our masks and say, this is who I really am, and let the powerful love of Christ meet us there and heal us and set us free. So got to stop so you guys can get to Sunday school. Don't skip out now Um, or get to get the coffee, whatever, whatever you got to do. What, what I would love to do right now, and I feel this about every community I talk with, I'd like to pause time and just start. I'd start right here in, in the row here with my, my gentleman friend, and, and I just want to sit and hear his story. I'd want to hear like where he's been, what it was like growing up in his home, what, what have been the joys and the sorrows, and, and I would, uh, I would just sit with him, and Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I'll sit there too, Jesus said, and let him, let him begin to heal us a little bit. Let, let us love one another and receive some of that, that healing that he promises. And then I'd, I'd go right here to Dan, and then Dan would introduce me to his wife, and we would have some moments, and then my brother here, I forgot to tell you, thanks so much for what you did at the at the retreat, man, you were a servant, you were a real servant, but I don't have time to do that. So what I wanna do is I wanna finish out this morning with a, just a, a, a kind of a role play, if you will. And um, Jeremiah, I'm gonna ask you to come over here and, and do this with me, if you don't mind. Um, in the Jewish community on Sabbath, Sabbath evening, Friday night, You can look this up online. It's all there. The father in the Jewish home will bring his sons and daughters to himself at the Sabbath table. And I think it's before they eat, he'll give them a father blessing. Most of the time, at least this is what they say, they would give the Numbers 6 blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you and give you peace. Of course, it's, it's, it's maybe the, one of the oldest blessings uh, in the Hebrew faith. But some of the articles I've read talk about the fact that fathers would also riff a little bit because their sons and daughters were individual human beings, and he didn't want it to feel rote but personal. So Jeremiah is going to play my son even though he's 42 and I'm 43. Um, actually, I'm 68, so I'm plenty old enough to be his dad. He's gonna play the role of my son for just a moment here, and we're gonna act like it's Sabbath, and I'm gonna give him a blessing. I want you to just ask God to fo- help you focus on two things. Number one, what would it be like? What, how would your ability to receive the love of God in Christ for you be shifted if you had ever gotten a blessing like this one time in your life from anyone, let alone every Friday night of your entire childhood. This blessing was intended to convey over and over again the love of Yahweh of Israel for his people invisible, tangible form. Lastly, I want you to think about this. What if God the Father is not up in heaven somewhere looking down at you and pointing his finger and saying, get with the program. What if instead, every moment of our lives, of your life, he is sitting with you, giving you this same kind of blessing from his loving heart toward you, knowing that it's that love and that blessing that will set you free. I can't even tell you how much I love you. And of course, I remember the day you were born, man. You don't forget stuff like that. And so glad that God had given me you. You happened to be a boy, happened to be a son, already had three daughters, but I was so glad to have you. What I want you to know on this Sabbath evening, Jeremiah, is that before you had been able to do anything, you you hadn't produced anything. I loved you with all of my heart. Because my love for you is not about performance. It's about just the fact that you're my beloved son. On this particular Sabbath Eve, I want to confess to you that there have been times along the way in my fathering of you that I've lost my way. There have been times when you've tried to be Honest with me, and I've made fun of you, I've wounded you, and I've shut you down. I think in those moments, I wasn't receiving the love of our Father myself, and so I didn't really have it to to give to you. That's no excuse. I just want you to know today, if I've never told you before, I am so sorry. And I can tell you that um, today, on this Sabbath, I have come to my senses, son, and I'm back with you where I was when you were first born. I just love you. I wanna create space for you to be as honest as you need to be. You can weep, you can rejoice, you can fail. You can let the winning goal score against your team, and I will love you just as much as if you score the winning goal. Because my love for you doesn't depend upon your performance, son. I just love you. So we're going to go from this Sabbath meal and this Sabbath on into our lives. I hope to get to pray this over you over and over and over again in your life. But I want you to know that no matter where you go, If you are the greatest success in your field as a pastor, or if, if you're a failure, I, I, I will hurt for you if you feel like you're a failure, but in my heart, you are my beloved son always. And no matter where you are, if you need me, no matter where you are or what you've done, all you have to do is look over your shoulder you'll see me, Jeremiah because I will crawl on broken shards of glass to get to you my beloved son I will love you till the end of time and so may the Lord bless you son and may the Lord keep you and may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and may the Lord be gracious unto you and give you of his deep and sweet and everlasting peace. Father, even as I hold my son, Jeremiah, I pray that our brothers and sisters here this morning will be able to sense you holding them. Maybe they walked in today and you felt distant, but you are close. Maybe they felt rejected, but they are accepted. Maybe they felt like they had to perform, but now they can begin to realize it was never, ever about that. You, their Abba, just love them. Hold them close, Lord. Heal our broken hearts. Start us on or continue us on a long journey of walking with you, the the God who's always sprinting toward us with compassion. Through Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. every word You're dismissed.